Hi there, I'm Ali Haji, Chief Executive Officer and Director of ION Energy. ION Energy trades on the TSX Venture under ticker ION, OTCQB under ION GF, and Frankfurt under 5YB. We are an early stage lithium explorer in Mongolia. We now control 110,000 hectares of highly prospective lithium licenses within that country. Ali, how are you? Doing well. Pleasure to be back with you. Well, you've come over for the mines and money. I hear you're one of the busier stools next door. Indeed. Going well. Yes, it is. 28 meetings over the course of two days, uh, definitely keeping me on my toes, and I would likely lose my voice after the end of this. It's worth it. Right? Indeed. Hey, so w w why are you so busy? What are people so interested in? I think it's only a lithium. It's only lithium, right. Uh, lithium is an exciting sort of uh, space right now. Obviously, prices are up almost 500% since December. So you're looking at anything between sixteen dollars to $18,000 per tonne for lithium carbonate equivalent. That means a lot of projects that were not economically viable last year are now coming to the attention of the investor and the investor community. Uh, with respect to what's been happening in the industry, you know, uh, Lithium Americas recently put in a bid for Millennial Lithium for 400 million. They were they outbid cattle or CATL of China to, to get that transaction over the line. We've seen Neo Lithium uh, sale to Zijin. Uh, for $960 million. That's a fantastic Argentinian asset as well. So the M&A activity is picking up. We're seeing private funds enter the space quietly. Koch Investments has, uh, has about half a billion dollars quietly tucked away in lithium companies over the last three to four weeks as well. So it's a space that I think uh, is, is getting the attention it needs. And I say that because we've talked about this clean green energy revolution. Uh, most of it has been spurned by the pandemic and sort of government spending around in renewables. But we're now seeing it come to fruition. And there is clearly a lack of uh, supply. The, yeah, at, at, at the moment, because not many people are actually getting into production or capable of getting into production, and, and, the, and the big guys haven't yet, you know, turned turned the volume up. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but the, it's the M and A activity that's catching the eye, and it's it's had a couple of goes of it. End of last year, it's also happened this year. Um, prices are accelerating. Wait, totally agree with that. These are. South American place. They're well known. They're the cheap brine lithium place. You're in Mongolia. You're yes. But you're getting that Mongolian discount, aren't you? There is a Mongolian discount. I think that exists for a number of reasons. One, the fact that most people don't understand the jurisdiction. Uh, perhaps historically looking at Mongolia, there have been some difficulties in that marketplace. Right. Um, should, should we talk, let's talk about Mongolia first, because I think we need to get that out of the way. Because yeah. we've investigated, we've spoken to many interested parties there, government and otherwise. I'm going to understand it a little bit. I need you to help this audience of ours understand why you it holds no fear for you. Well, as, as a group, um, as operators, we've been in country for about 11 years now. Um, 2010 was my chairman's first foray into the country. Uh, he built a coal company that he then exited 18 months later. Uh, a lot of the shareholders there were Mongolian nationals. Uh, it was a company that was staffed by um, almost 99% Mongolian staff with one expat. So that builds goodwill and, and, and sort of good relations with government. Mm -hmm. We then uh, did Step Gold, which is a gold producer in Mongolia today. Again, they achieved commercial production using 100% Mongolian staff. Uh, we are a very much Mongolian company that's listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And we see Mongolia as a jurisdiction that's been quite uh, gratuitous and, and, and quite uh, fortunate for us as investors and as an operating group. I think uh, over the course of the last four or five years, having visited Mongolia on multiple occasions, I've met with mem members of the Ministry of Mining. I've been in investment forums that are held by the president or the prime minister, each of which belong to a different political party. And they've all sang the same song, which is Mongolia is open for business. It is an investment friendly jurisdiction. And they've proven that by giving us Bavayul, the largest exploration license granted in the history of the country.
Yeah, no, and I'll back you, back you up there because we've got those conversations as well. Um, and I would say they're definitely open for foreign investment. There have been a few cases which I think people have alarmed people in the past, but I think the message I was getting, we've learned from our mistakes and we are definitely open for business. The other fear that people have is you're about 24 kilometers from the Chinese border. Mm-hmm. Is that an opportunity or a threat? It's an opportunity. It's right. an absolute opportunity. I think, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, China today consumes 53% of the world's lithium. Being 24 kilometers from that massive market, as opposed to being a producer in Australia or in Latin America, makes you that much more attractive to the Chinese uh, companies that, that would ultimately acquire lithium from you, be it an offtake or an ultimate acquisition. If you look at the uh, infrastructure that's being built, so the Silk Road, One Belt, One Road uh, Route initiative, or, or whatever name it goes by today, um, that will run from Beijing to Ulaanbaatar and all the way up to St. Petersburg. So you could potentially service the European market with lithium from Mongolia as well. Right, and, and what's, the, what's the current position? Because obviously China's the obvious market, because it's just next door. Cost of supply is getting much, much reduced. Um, they are a big consumer. Are they a big producer as well? They are a refiner. Uh, they do refine right. 75% plus of all battery grade lithium globally. Okay, okay. So you're, you're quite handy being on, on the, on literally on the doorstep. Okay, so Mongolia, I think we're saying we're in violent agreement. It's, it's a good place for, open for business. Let's get onto the, the asset. So I want to keep this as a rather than kind of drill down too much today i want to get into lessons learned this year so what, what have you just highlights of what you've achieved what you've learned and what you're adapting as a result of that sure since uh, our last update in june uh, you know we just come off the heels of closing a bot deal that helped to refinance the company uh, we've added some bent strength so we do have some industry professionals that have allowed us to, to better navigate if you will in terms of uh, exploration programs as well as uh, strategic conversations mm-hmm. but what we've learned uh, over the course of this year and i think many other companies in in any industry for that matter will, will echo this sentiment and that is supply chain issues have been plaguing the vast majority of everything that we do so the way to, to sort of mitigate that is to build relationships with your suppliers, better relationships with your suppliers, better relationships with the assaying laboratories, so that you have a line of communication that ensures that timelines and deliverables are met. We had announced a drilling program in July, uh, or in May rather, that, that we didn't complete until July. Those assay results are still pending. We announced uh, the expanded exploration program on Urgach Naran in September. We have yet to hit site. So, the reason behind the Urgach Naran delay is COVID. Uh, the number of cases in Mongolia are between two to 4,000 a day, a uh, population of three and a half million people. You can see how the workforce will be affected. Mm-hmm. So th- there's some things that we can control and others that we cannot. Um, the one advantage that we do have as a company is that we remain fully funded for the next two years. Right, okay. Um, h- how have you overcome those problems or is it a case of they are just totally out of your control? Because the so, market's going to get nervous. Mm-hmm you making promises, not seeing assay results, not getting on the ground. It's how, how we've delivered upon that is building those relationships with those, those assaying labs and the various suppliers. So uh, as of this morning, today is December 1st, we put out a news release uh, that showed the highlights of our exploration yep. program. So nice. we've built those relationships and going forward, we have a sort of a commitment, a soft commitment from our suppliers that they will adhere to certain timelines. Okay, but, um, well, the press release actually announces a significant increase in the the uh, quality of what you're finding. So maybe just let people understand. Yeah, that. absolutely. You know, we, we uh, took on Bavayol or, or co-founded the company on the back of data that was received in 2016. Mm-hmm. That data showed a maximum grade of 811 ppm. 
yes. an average grade of 426 ppm. Uh, we've so since done some RC drilling. Uh, we've been able to identify where the aquifers exist, and mm. we will expand upon that exploration program. But if you look at our press release from today, we have a maximum grade of 1502 ppm. That's almost twice as much as yeah. the number was back in 2016. Yeah. So White Wolf is the prospect uh, that we've identified, and we mm. will start to, to have a more uh, a rigorous and, and dynamic exploration program take place over the next two quarters. Okay, so like, let's get into that actually. So how much drilling has actually happened this We've year? We drilled uh, over 250 holes. Okay, so we had shallow though. No, 21 holes were RC. Right. They went down to about 80 to, between 80 to 120 meters. Okay. Really uh, and then we did, uh, the basement is quite shallow, but yeah. the aquifers are far and wide. Yeah. Uh, as is the, the subterranean solar. So uh, we then, because the license is 81,000 hectares and for, you know, some sort of uh, uh, comparison is about five times the size of Vancouver as a city. Right. As a junior miner, we're not going to spend a vast sum of capital on an extensive program without identifying our targets. Mm -hmm. And so we did that with 222 holes drilled down to six meters, samples collected every 50 centimeters, over 2,000 samples obtained, uh, of which we've now received assay results for about 12.5% of that. It, it almost doesn't like seem like real drilling. You've gone yeah. from 60 to 80 meters to six meters, and that, that tells you it must, it's a different sort of information data set that you're getting back. What does it tell you? It's telling us where the hotspots are, where right. the lithium exists. And we're finding right. that uh, we, you, know, you build a heat map around that and then design a more extensive exploration program that allows you to do hydrogeological sampling, right. allows you to test the flow rates of the aquifers, and ultimately test what's in, the, uh, in either the sediment or, or the clay that, that exists around there. Okay, so you, okay, we'll just move on to that. So, like I say, I want to keep this kind of light and fluffy. We, I'll put the links um, below to the previous interviews that we had, which, which got into a little bit more gruesome detail. But for the sake of this, so you get that you, you're going to get those sorts of data sets uh, back and analyze it, analyze it, and then work out what, what you've got here. The big thing about lithium projects is there; it's a very technical commodity, right? right. You've got you've got to do the work in terms of man managing the field and. Um, you, you're going to at the end of the day, you've got to be able to produce something that someone wants, a very high specification in terms of what they want. You're feeding into the Chinese market, highly technical, highly competent. You've got the gang fangs of this world who can solve most problems. Yep. Um, so, how far do you have to take it, knowing that who possibly the end buyers and their technical competence? You don't have as many problems to solve. No, we don't. Exactly right. I mean, we, we've still been proactive about it and reached out to you know various uh, DLE uh, providers, including mm -hmm. Lilac Solutions, Axiom in Russia, Summit Nanotech in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So we will be sharing data with them, uh, along with samples that they will run through their various pilot plants at their various laboratories to determine the recovery rates. Yeah, that would help with any sort of offtake negotiation. Yeah, uh, but beyond that, it would at least paint a picture of what would be required to take these things to production. Right. What I'm trying to work out is the arbitrage between. Low cost, shallow drilling, mm -hmm. proximity to China, obvious uh, off-taker, buyer, acquisitor, whatever liquidity form you decide you want to go for versus operating in South America or even North America and Australia with the hard rock type stuff. It, there's, a, there's an arbitrage to play of how much money you throw at this company before you think, you know what, we don't need to capture all of the value mm -hmm. down the food chain. But we need to go so far. Where is so far for so you? So far would be when we have the vast majority of the results from Bavio. Right. Um, and that would be an indicator for any strategic to determine at a very high level what might be there. But any strategic is next door in China, isn't it? Indeed. And so those... Well, what, are they, what are they paying? Because if I look at some of the premiums they're paying on, or certainly some of the offers going in, they, there's 20, maybe as high as 30% on, yeah. on today's you know, NAV, right? So you've got a job at 20 million 
market cap Indeed. to do. Yes. So how much money do you need to throw at this? I think what do you need to do? Are you, and with the whole Mongolian discount thing, how far can you realistically push that? You know, we have a number in our minds as management insiders that we talk about uh, mm. over dinner or, or lunch or what have you, and that number is significantly higher than our trading price today. Uh, if you were to look at comparisons in the industry, you would find that uh, some organizations that will remain unnamed uh, have, have done very little to no work, but uh, because of uh, a sort of neighbor advantage, yeah. uh, they're valued at significantly higher multiples despite being 15,000 miles away from the largest market in the world. Uh, we have a gap to fill. We're, we're bringing on coverage uh, on the back of the exploration results. We're mm. in talks with Cormark Securities, with yeah. Stiefel GMP and PI Financial. Mm. Uh, so once they initiate some, some coverage, I think we'll start to see that valuation cl uh, gap close. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm not going to answer you uh, as far as giving you an exact number. I, I just think that's far too speculative, nor do I want to put that out. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I, don't blame, I don't blame you, but I've, I've got to ask, right? Of course. And, you know, last time out, sorry, that's the thing. Initiating coverage is great, but there's expectation from those guys that they'll make the money when you go and raise some money mm -hmm. with them, right? So they, they're looking for you to raise some capital. We talked last time out about 11 million bucks worth of warrants yep. as, as well coming through Correct. the first phases of that. So you've got an idea of your mind about potentially about how much money you're going to need to raise, mm -hmm. plus with your warrants and what that's going to allow you to do. Yeah. As part of your marketing efforts to drive the share price exactly. and drive the market, exactly cap, right. So, can you give us a sense of what you think twenty twenty two looks like? Twenty twenty two will be a, a very extensive program on Babayol. Uh, also, yeah. the maiden results from Urgach uh, Naren will start to roll in. But as far as uh, the expenditure, I would expect we would put about anywhere between one and a half to, to two million dollars into Babayol mm. uh, to further define that okay. asset. Uh, that still gives us a bit of a buffer there for for you know uh, running costs and maintenance, what have you. We mm. have five million at the end of September, so we are still very well funded. Uh, the forty cent warrants are now coming into the money and they're mm. organically converting. Uh, that's three point six million if they were all to convert. Yeah. Seventy cent warrants would bring in about seven and a half million as well. Right. So the expectation is that uh, we're at like 50, 51. Yeah, sort of 50, 50, 51, 54. You've been, you've been higher recently. You've we been have at sixty have. cents recently. We were at sixty cents recently, and uh, that's on the back of no news. So that's basic speculation in the market for the right. battery metals play. Uh, the recent decline in the stock price has a lot to do with what's happening in the sort of EV space. If you looked at Tesla last week, Tuesday, mm. they were down about seven and a half percent based on some investigation claims for sexual harassment of senior senior brass. That, as a result, precipitated in everybody in the battery metal space bleeding. Um, some of them have come back, some haven't, but uh, we will come back with execution. Wow. It, it's a serious matter, but mm -hmm. totally uncorrelated with share price. It, but it happens. Yeah, it does. Everybody wow. assumes that you're lithium and therefore you are associated with Tesla. Yeah. It's okay. just a, a correlation that people wrongly make. Stars. Okay, um, let, let's get back on track. So 2022, if you, um, you, you've got some very sort of clear goals in terms of how you allocate the, the, the capital and what your expectations are around the warrants and so forth. What would success look like for you at the end of 2022? Having brought in a strategic partner right. for a toehold in the organization, call it 9.99% okay. uh, with a potential uh, board seat as well as a rofer. Uh, on acquisition and development uh, in the future. Obviously, okay. we get in two strategics, all the best, all the better. Right. Uh, build some healthy competition amongst them uh, to determine. So that would be clearly someone who's comfortable with Mongolia, li likes battery metals or li li lithium specifically, and maybe understands a little bit of China. So are you, are you, 
Are you adverse to getting a Chinese partner in? What's that not at all. like for a TSX company these days? Not at all. I think that's fine. You know, the, 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 the spat between the diplomatic spat between China and Canada has come to an end since uh, the CFO was allowed to to leave the country and return to China of Huawei. Right. Um, so that spat is now over. We're obviously seeing Zijin that just put in a bid for, for Neolithium. Neolithium trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So there hasn't yeah. been an issue there. Uh, government regulators do have to sign off on it, but we don't see uh, uh, that being right. an issue. As far as uh, who we, we would welcome, uh, you know, it is early days, uh, but we have had some introductory conversations with a number of strategics, mm. um, especially over the last three weeks. It just seemed to really get hot. And, and we've had a number of phone calls with four different strategics. So that conversation is happening right. um, as we start to produce more results and we have a better sense of what the asset is worth in terms of uh, right. mineral content. I expect in Q2 of next year, we will, uh, by Q2 of next year, we will have announced something. Okay, interesting. And uh, uh, obviously, it'll come with money attached, of right? Um, and I know they're, you know, under the ten percent threshold. Well, presumably, yeah. they're under the ten percent yeah. threshold. So they do have a potentially with a board seat. Is your expectation, given that like you've got a good management team, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys have done stuff in the past, you get some good stuff. You've made shareholders money, right? But at the same time, lithium is a very sort of technical yep. commodity, as I said earlier, yep. right? So you, you, with a strategic, there's money. Mm -hmm. And expertise. D dumb or smart. And there's expertise and market reach. And it's, what are you looking for? I think a combination of the, the two. Um, capital is not an ultimate or immediate requirement for expansion right now, but it does right. allow strategic to come in at a higher valuation than we're trading at today. Right. But importantly, leveraging their intellectual capital to better understand our assets is, is sort of the, uh, uh, the, game, the game plan here. The smart move. Yeah, okay. we, we have a strong advisory team, as you pointed out. I yeah. mean, Paul Fornitsari of Lithium Americas yeah, yeah. previously and, and Neolithium as well. Yeah. And then Don Haynes, our technical advisor, who's essentially worked on just about every brine asset there is on the planet. Right, okay. Okay, well, look, I, great to see you. Lovely to see you One, in person, in person for sure. Um, <laughs> Shaking hands. Sounds like really, we'll, we'll, we'll sort it out yes, later. No um, <laughs> it's good to see you here, obviously, but um, great to hear the plan, simple. You know what you're doing mm -hmm. and you know what you, you, you got to achieve. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Absolutely. Okay? Cheers. Goodbye. Thank you.